what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 8 of Mad Max, which begins with some guy asking about Jonathan and ends with Rook getting back on the road to continue his pursuit. So, this Jonathan person. I know. What What is it about Jonathan that makes Jonathan so important to this little exchange? Because these are two people we've never seen before. We don't actually know their names. No. They're not credited individually. Like, these are two people that share an acting credit because their characters have the same distinction as arguing couple. Right. I wrote them down as Waldo and Stupid Mom. It's funny that you thought he was dressed up as Waldo because I thought he looked like the comedian Gallagher. The guy with the giant yes, hammer who smashes the watermelon. I see that. Like, I see that. It's not just the striped shirt and the suspenders, but it's the fact that he's like wearing a hat with some like frizzy hair popping out around the sides. Yes. He looks like Gallagher, not actually Gallagher. Did it's, you look that up on IMDb? Well, yes. Yeah. His, his, <laughs> his name is Peter Ford. <laughs> but, so I had a question. Do you think it's possible that this mysterious Jonathan is the same character as Johnny the Boy that we see later? Maybe 10 or 15 minutes later? I'm going to say no, because Jonathan is a common name. It and is. I agree. I don't think it's the same person. The reason why I asked the question, though, is because there's not that many names in this movie. A lot of people go unnamed. So two people you are going to name, Jonathan and Johnny the Boy, why on earth would you use the same name? Why did they choose Jonathan when they could have chosen Benjamin or Samuel? What's ridiculous? Or any other name. What's ridiculous is that they have given a name to a character that we never see on camera. Meanwhile, the two people that are arguing over him don't get names. Yeah. The subject of their argument, clear as day, we know exactly who they're talking about. They're talking about Jonathan. And she was seen with Jonathan. And she doesn't think it's a big deal, but we have no idea what her name is. Yeah. <laughs> She's just <laughs> arguing couple. It's plain to see that she is merely there as a vehicle to get that toddler by the road, and he is merely a vehicle to pull her attention away from said toddler. Yes. Like that. So, stupid toddler. Yeah. Can climb out of the stroller that he wasn't buckled into mm-hmm. and, and wander off. Now, there was a waist strap stretched across his waist. It's just it had one of those loop closures where you're supposed to take the strap and put it through the loop and then fold it back on itself. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of put through the ring because you can see as this toddler is pulling himself out of the stroller, it's just sliding right through the ring. There's no actual holding in place going on here. Yeah. Maybe she would have thought about that if she wasn't out with Jonathan. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't understand the situation. The woman, who, like I said, we don't get a name, she is played by Christine Kamen, K-A-M-A-N, so I'm assuming Kamen, most recently played a character named Grace in a 2015 short film entitled The Best Way to Kill Your Mother. (laughs) 
that was the most interesting thing that I saw on her filmography. Other than that, she's done television since pretty much 1972, working okay. on one show or another, television shows, TV movies. But that short film and the title of it stood out to me. Yeah. The man, Waldo or Gallagher or whatever we want to call him, played by Peter Ford, has an extremely sparse IMDb page. He doesn't have a filmography. All he has is a very short bio. And I will read the bio in its entirety because I actually copied it and pasted it into my notes. Peter Ford's entire IMDb entry. <clears throat> Peter Ford is an actor known for King Kong 2005, Mad Max 1979, and Gallipoli 1981. Fascinating. I know, right? <laughs> the fascinating part about that is actually that Gallipoli, correct me if I'm wrong, is another Mel Gibson movie about Australian soldiers fighting in World War I. Yes. For those history buffs out there, Australia didn't have a good time during World War I. They were pretty much thrown at the Turks like paint against a wall. Yes, absolutely. Quick plug while we're on the subject of Gallipoli. There's another podcast that is... It was my introduction into the world of podcasts, and I absolutely adore it. It's called Stuff You Missed in History Class. They did an episode on the Gallipoli campaign. And I'm trying to remember about when, sometime in the last two years, I would say. And you can go to their website, HowStuffWorks.com, and look up that episode. And they do an entire like half hour about the Gallipoli campaign, and I had never even heard of it. So it was something I missed in history class. From the shot of the kid climbing out of the stroller, we go to the camper. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe you could figure out exactly what was going on with the camper. So the camper, it, we see it at the end of the last minute driving down the road. Mm -hmm. This minute, we see it start to like turn around. Yes. Why? Because the thing that they are driving to is back... Let's see, what's the actual... Uh, the actual quote from Peter Culpin, who plays Caravan Driver, is, it's this way. So he's driving the wrong direction. Okay. So they've started driving off down this road, realized that they needed to turn around, and he decided to make a wide sweeping turn in the middle of the road. Because, you know, like you do. When, yeah. You know, you're a terrible driver. So when you say the driver, you're talking about the older man? No, I'm talking about... The kid? No, I'm talking about the guy in the driver's seat of the truck. The younger man the or the older man. There's... Okay, in the front of the truck, there's a male driver and a female passenger. Okay, so the, third, the person I thought was a young man is a female? Yes. Okay, well, that's the driver. No. In Australia, the driver is on the other side of the car. No, I'm telling you. Because, okay, I watched this over and over again. The man, like the older man, who I always thought was the driver, is not the driver. Because the driver's seat is on the opposite side of the car than we are used to. We're going to have to... We're, we're, okay. We're going to pull it up right here in the middle of the episode. Okay. We're because gonna... for a long time, I assumed that the older man was the one driving. But then I realized that the driver's side is the right side instead of the left side. Oh my gosh. Who I thought was a young man, who I assumed was like his son, like he was letting his son drive. That's a woman? That's a woman. Can I see it again? I yeah. want to see that with okay. the eyes of knowing that that's a woman. First of all, you're absolutely right. She is driving. Yeah. Because his see, I still left see... hand is on 
the dashboard and his right hand is gesturing, it's this way. It's this He's way. credited as caravan driver. <gasps> Ooh, no. And she is credited as caravan driver's wife. In fact... Okay, so it is officially a woman because I'm sorry, I'm still seeing a young man. Let me open up my casting characters. We are going to scroll down. Yeah, caravan driver in the credits is Peter Culpin. And then caravan driver's wife is D. Trailor. Okay. But as you noted, and as we clearly see in the clip, she's the one sitting behind the steering wheel. Yes. Because in Australia, all the cars are right-hand side steering wheels. Yes. So. Glad we got that cleared up. Yeah. I'm still flabbergasted that that's a woman. No, it's definitely a woman. Okay. I feel like me saying that is very insulting. Well, it was 1979. Yeah. She essentially looked like what teenage boys looked like back then. Yeah. And on the same note of being insulting about other people's appearances, way back in minute two, when Rupa's spying on the two people getting it on out in the field, I couldn't tell which one was male, which one was female. They both looked the same. You know what? And I didn't, I wasn't worried about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it did not bother me. They did not have names and they did not have credits. And so they, they weren't real people to me. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Okay, so the wife is... I just rocked your perception of reality, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> Did I rock your perception of reality? You know I what? feel like it went both ways here. I think it definitely went both ways. How like marriage. Yes. So she turns left to start to turn around. And okay, now I, ha- I feel like I have a different perspective on this now. Because as a wife and you as the husband... I feel like sometimes when I'm driving and you're in the passenger seat, sometimes I do stupid things. And if I were by myself, I wouldn't feel so stupid about it. Like, I, you know, you make mistakes driving, whatever. But when you're watching me, I feel like stupid when I do stupid things. So I, I kind of now sympathize with her that she turned left to try and turn around. And it was pretty clear pretty quickly that she did not have the room to turn around. I never would have done that. Try and turn that thing around just on the road without finding like a really big loop to turn around. So the whole situation is a little embarrassing to me. Yeah. And it's not just embarrassing for her, but it's also embarrassing for him because it's very clear that he's the one that's navigating. And so he is the one that initially told her, okay, take a left on this road. We're going to go straight for a while. And then he's the one that realized, oh, wait, no, it's back this way. And so she's got to now take this monumental task of trying to turn around this this moderately sized truck, but gigantic sized truck camper on this two-lane road now the camper specifically the first thing i noticed about it is that on the side of the camper there are two windows a forward window and a rear window that forward window is just flapping it's flapping open (laughs) it's not actually locked closed and how do you drive for any distance Pulling a camper where a window is just flapping open because the wind is going to get there. It's going to make the the window fly open and rattle around and make a bunch of noise. Yeah. And these people are driving with their windows down. They're going to hear it. Yes. And like that beyond anything was like, what are you people doing? Secure your windows. Yeah. (laughs) Secure your goddamn windows. Going back to the guy who is not actually the driver, uh, Peter Culpin, he's not only an actor. He's actually also an accomplished stuntman, stunt coordinator, and safety supervisor. 
Um, he's not listed in the credits as part of the stunt team for Mad Max specifically, mm-hmm. but he's done stunts for at least half a dozen movies. He's coordinated safety for half a dozen movies. He's got a long career in the line of stunts and safety in TV and movie productions. Okay. I'm a little curious. Did he have any credits before this one? Being any stuntman safety type credits before Mad Max. He did, but I didn't write down any specifics. Oh, okay. I was wondering if his exposure to the set of Mad Max where there was no safety regulations... That's not fair. Grant Page was the stunt supervisor for this movie, and he had a team of about a dozen guys, mm-hmm. and nobody died doing well, stunts in this movie. So well, there you go. Don't, don't throw him under the tractor trailer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've set up the RV being across the road. Uh, we go back to the toddler. Who is toddling Who out is of his... toddling, and I have to admit, I laughed when the kid fell. Oh, yeah. It was... <laughs> okay. There are there are things in this world that are inherently funny. Watching small children that have just learned how to walk actually try to walk, it's incredibly funny. Yes. Because they... I think toddle is actually just the right word to describe it. Yeah. They're off balance. They're they're still getting used to how big their head is related to the rest of them, which hasn't started growing yet. And they've got these tiny little feet that they're trying to balance on. And yeah, he toddles for like a couple of steps and then he just, boom. he doesn't eat it. He doesn't face plant into the, the pavement. He's able to catch himself. Yeah. But just seeing him fall, it's kind of funny. Yes. <laughs> I laughed every time. So once we see that the kid is entering the road, we get another shot of the Knight Rider with what appears to be duct tape holding his front bumper in place. There are, so you see the front of his car, and there are at least two or three sections on it that just look like duct tape, which kind of gels with the whole fact that the side of the car is all crumpled up and dented. Yeah. The make it work methodology, or just make it work mindset of that era both in universe we have limited supplies and behind the scenes we have limited money Mm -hmm. just get it on there and make sure it doesn't move yep what's the saying um use it up wear it out make it do or do without i've never heard that before but i I really like that that. i'm gonna have to get a poster of that in my office yeah (laughs) like i said we see that front bumper it looks like it's got tape, the, and then in the shot, Knight Rider kind of skirts to the side so we can see Roop and Charlie are now, like, right behind it. And then it kind of zooms out as they are coming around a corner. So that corner with the uh, the Noyes warehouse and the Volvo building in the back, mm-hmm. that's a real corner, obviously. The corner is on Cherry Lane in Melbourne. The specific shot... That they came around that corner. If you go on Google Maps and search for 17 Cherry Lane in Melbourne, you'll pretty much get that same spot. The Volvo building is no longer a Volvo building and the Noyes building is no longer a Noyes building. They're both part of a corporate complex for Transpec, which is a company, according to their website, that provides optimal equipment solutions for the road, transport, mining, and agricultural industries. Wow. Yeah. Some good digging. I guess so. 
This podcast is not sponsored by Transpec, although if they want to send us a check for mentioning them, I won't stop them. <laughs> Go to our website. You'll find plenty of information. So after we round the corner, we see a blue van exiting a... I'm going to say it's a storage complex because one of the buildings says storage on the side of it. Uh-huh. But it's kind of pulling out of like this chain-link fenced-in area. So we see the van rolling, and then we see Charlie do... Is it a double take? It's like he sees it, and then he looks at Roop, and then he looks back at the front, and then his head goes between his knees. Yes, I got a kick out of this. He's just so... He can be He can be so innocent. He's so expressive. Yes. <laughs> so, Charlie ducks, and they hit the van. Yep, so I, uh, I took this Straight scene... Straight on. I took the scene, and I kind of went frame by frame, because I have... That's a good idea, because everything happened really fast. That lets me go frame by frame with my, my clips here. So the van rolls in between the Night Rider and Big Bopper, which is like a one in a million shot in and of itself. And they smash through the back half of the blue van. Charlie and Root have now crashed for their second time. Mm-hmm. They careen off to the side of the road. Their front end is smashed. The back of the van is just totaled. There are a number of stories circulating about this van specifically. It was long reported to be George Miller's personal vehicle. Um, And then as the production was running out of money, they decided to use it. However, it's only the first shot of the vehicle driving that was actually Miller's van. The van that was actually used in the wreck was from a scrapyard. They had a lot of plans for more chase scenes, mm-hmm. but you know they ran out of money, so they started pulling things from the scrapyard. So they just found a van that looked very much like Miller's van that they'd used in the shot before. Yeah. Painted it up to look like it. And then they just kind of pushed it into the scene. The, um, the van that was wrecked that they got from the scrapyard, they removed the engine... And then, like I said, pushed it into the path of the vehicle. Yeah. And the reason it flies through the air so spectacularly is because it's so light. Yes, I made note of that. In Like, in-universe, that crash makes absolutely no sense. So this relatively small interceptor hits this van that is quite a bit larger. That, that van goes flying and, like, spinning. It is decimated. That thing is gone. That just doesn't make any sense. And I realize that, you know, in the context of what's going on, that the interceptor is going pretty darn fast. Right. So that could explain it too. But it is so obvious that the van weighs nothing. Yeah. And the van is actually empty. Like it gets hit in such a way that you can really see into it. Right. There's there's nothing in it. Now, here's the thing though. They put all of those buckets on top of the van filled with milk of all things. Right. And when you go frame by frame seeing that crash, when the interceptor actually hits the van, you kind of have this nice little high view of it. And you can see the interceptor come, hit the back axle of the van, and the van starts to spin out of the way. But all those buckets stay still. (laughs) And it's not until the van is completely free of them that they actually start to fall. And then they spread all over the road, and March Hare drives through the aftermath. Okay. So Roop and Charlie spin out. They're on the side of the road. And Charlie utters a phrase that I have a bit of a problem with. Yes. I, I know what you're talking about. Um, He says, now you have the script, so you know exactly what he said. I'll leave he it says, you. you're really going to get it this time. He had his indicator on, which no, he didn't. I looked. 
for an indicator mm-hmm. and did not find one. And also, wasn't he going straight through the intersection? So he was going... So he would not have had an indicator. The van was going straight by the time he was hit because I imagine the story is that the van was accelerating to try to just get to the other side of the road before it gets hit, which a lot of good that does. But there are no headlights are on. No. No indicator lights are blinking. No brake lights are lit up because it's a scrap car. Right. Like they're pushing it across the road. But it's like there is a flash of what could be interpreted as an indicator, but it's nothing more than the reflection of the interceptor's lights in the door of the van. Ah, okay. So this whole, oh, he had his indicator on, you're going to get in trouble. It's like, no, Charlie, you had your head between your knees. You don't know what you're talking about, you green. Right. Okay, so I have more on this. Okay. The Interceptor had the right-of-way because they were going straight. Right. The van, even if it had the right-of-way, you still don't go out into an intersection when there's an active car going across your path. The uh, Interceptors had their lights and sirens going. Mm -hmm. When the lights and sirens are going, you stay put. Exactly. If you're on the road, you pull over. If you're stopped at an intersection, you stay put. That is the law. I realize, you know, this is America in 2017 versus Australia in 1979. So, you know, I had one more point. Oh, okay. Last point. Let's say he did have his indicator on. How does that make it okay or less not okay that they hit the car? Yeah. What is Charlie trying to call attention to? Is there some sort of memorandum or bylaw that the MFPF to follow that if they're in an active pursuit, they can't hit anyone that has their indicator turned on? Yeah. What could have happened to make it okay that they hit this car? Right. In no way was it okay because I think, and you may have a different opinion, that the driver died. Or at least was severely injured. The shot of the crash that we get... And I was going very slowly through this. You were going frame by frame. I did not do that. I was trying to pay attention to whether or not there was a stuntman behind the wheel or if there was a dummy behind the wheel. And I could not tell because it's a movie from 1979 and it's kind of grainy. Yeah, but there was something in the driver's seat. There was some human figure in the driver's seat. And with the way that van spun around... It tells me that they were using a dummy. Probably. I mean, probably. But, yeah, if if there were an actual person and this was a real-world crash and that van spun around like that and you see that it spins around, I want to say, 180 degrees and then it would spin further but the tires make contact with the ground and it does one of those things where two tires are on the ground and it's tilted in such a way that it just falls over onto its side. Okay. Like, this van not only gets wrecked, but it also gets flipped. Okay. So, in-universe, yeah, that driver is totally dead. Okay. Behind the scenes, Uh, mostly a mannequin. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, there's no... So, at that point, yeah, indicator or not, it doesn't matter. You just killed somebody. Yeah. And it's like, yes, the... The death of a character is the direct result of the actions of the MFP. But at the same time, they had no right of way to get onto that road. No, absolutely not. And I, I don't think... It's kind of hard to say because I think they'll they'll get in trouble for hitting something. But it wasn't their fault. Right. They had their sirens on. I, the sirens on nullifies anything else. Any right of way, indicators, whatever... Their sirens were on. Their lights were going. Two. 
two cars. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, it's the, it's the van driver's fault. Exactly. Um, but I would also like to point out. <laughs> yes, I think they deserve to die and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> Them and the toddler. Um, oh I would like to point out, jumping backwards a little bit to just before the crash. So Charlie has enough time to see the van, look at Rupe, go back to the van, put his head down. Before they hit the van. What the heck is Rupe doing that he doesn't see the van in time to slow down? I I mean, he's Rupe, so he's being an idiot, but... That Rupe has got a sort of bloodlust or masculine (laughs) rage. Some sort of tunnel vision focused so intently on the Knight Rider that extraneous things like, you know, pedestrians or vehicles turning into traffic, those don't matter because he is so dead set on making sure this skag and his floozy, they die. You know what I mean? Yes, I absolutely see that. Yeah. I mean, Roop's not the the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. Certainly not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah, it, it it doesn't surprise me at all. And even if Charlie had said something... Like, hey, swerve, maybe. Right, because he, he doesn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Rube wouldn't have listened to him anyway. No. No. Because, you know, Rube knows better because he's a bumbler like that. <laughs> yep. So after we see the crash and what's left of the van, we jump to uh, March Hare. Yep. That comment. So they're, okay, I have a problem with this scene. Okay. So both of them are turned looking backwards. Yep. For quite some time, I didn't count the seconds, but for a number of seconds, they are neither of them are looking at the road in front of them. They are, they are in fast pursuit of a terminal psychotic. They are in town in a populated area and they decide to take their eyes off the road for, I'm going to guess, at least five seconds. Yeah. And then one of them comment, he's gone. Yep. I think that's actually Scuttle. I think this might okay. actually be. His maybe, line? Maybe his line. Okay. He he comments, he's gone. He's gone. Now, were they talking about the driver of the van? Meaning he's dead, do you think? I believe so. That's that's the way I took it. Yeah. So, Rupe is upset. Charlie's talking about an indicator which didn't exist. Uh-huh. Rupe tells him to shut up, which he really should. But then Rupe gets the car started. He keeps turning over the engine until he finally gets it started I... again. And then Charlie's like, uh, what are you doing? Right. What are you like, doing? What, there's a what, time what to call it quits. Yeah. Okay. Scenes like this. And then also going back, we've talked before about Top Gear. Yeah. Scenes where we see cars that have been beat up, have taken damage in some way that are not starting. But then all of a sudden they roar to life. I have a, a problem with that trope. And I guess it's not really a trope because it really happens. Never happens to me. When my car breaks down, it doesn't just start back up. Yeah, but you also don't drive through minivans. I just... <laughs> <laughs> this idea that a car can take so much and then just start back up mm. is completely foreign to me. But yeah, I, I can appreciate that Charlie is trying to actively discourage Root from continuing the pursuit. Somebody has to. Nobody else cares. Yeah, but the fact that that car is... A, still running, and B, still able to steer and turn, which are essentially the same thing, to enough to continue the pursuit is just unbelievable. I know. I mean, how is... (laughs) (laughs) 
just flabbergasted by how that car could possibly still be running. I think the only reason that Roop and Charlie get through that crash as well as they do is because the van is so light. Yes. That they're able to just kind of plow through it. Yes. If the van had been like a real van with a proper engine block and people in it to... Or cargo... Yeah, to weigh it down. There's no way that Interceptor would have survived. Right. They would have been deflected or caught up in the wreckage of the van in such a way that, if not being completely tangled up, that it would have careened them off into something else instead of just making them spin out a little bit. Right. But yeah, Roop is convinced that he still has enough vehicular integrity to (laughs) continue the race. Yes. I keep calling it a race. It's a chase, but whatever. I guess you gotta give him credit for persistence. He does have that. He is fully prepared to keep going as long as he is physically able to. Yep. And I believe that's where we close. Yep, that brings us to the end. driving off. That brings us to the end of Minute 8. So our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number eight. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and men are men. 